Okay, well, I know we've got quite a few visitors here, so let me once again welcome you here to Cedar Street and catch you up to where we are. We have been walking through this sermon series that's entitled Putting Feet to Our Faith as we walk through verse by verse, word by word through the book of James. And now we're getting towards the end of that journey together. We're, we're towards uh, close to the end of chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at just two verses today, verses 11 through 12, and this has been a great journey. I'm going to be honest, it's heavy, okay? Have we not noticed over the past few weeks that when James speaks, he pulls no punches, But we also have to remind ourselves that this is God speaking through James and instructing all of us on how we should live the Christian life. And as with everything, it's simple, but it's not easy. I think what we're going to look at today is also very simple. I don't think anybody in this room is going to be confused about what it means, but putting it into practice is another story. So let me start off with something to think about, okay? Something to think about. The... the, uh, The question I'd like for us to ask ourselves here as we start off this message is this, how often do you think about your day of judgment? How often do you think about your day of final judgment? Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I would tell you, I think it's unhealthy if we're thinking about it every second of the day, right? The the song we just sang is we're not slaves to fear, right? But Death is the one thing that is inevitable in our lives, and yet it's still inconceivable for all of us. We may know up here that eventually 100% of everybody in this room will perish. Your body and your spirit will be separated unless Jesus comes back first. Okay? So all of us are going to experience that, and when we do... We will stand before God as our judge. And we stop and we we think about this all the time, and and funerals are a great reminder of that. I know there are several in this church who work for funeral homes, and of course, as a pastor, I've led quite a few funerals in the past year, so I'm consciously reminded almost every single week of this reality. But we need to be reminded of it because the things that we say, think, and do now They'll be brought to the light eventually. I'm reminded of this. I know those under the age of uh, maybe 40 or 45 in this church may not remember. Back in the late 90s, there was this reality show on MTV called The Real World. Okay? And for us in our 30s and 40s and even in the late 20s, that was a pretty popular show. It started off in the early 90s. Basically, they took seven strangers from all over the world and they put them in one house for like three months and put cameras in every room and just said, let's see how this works. And they had one season in New York, and then all of a sudden they did like 10 or 20 seasons. I don't even know if they're still doing the show. I haven't watched MTV in probably a decade. But I used to watch that show when I was a teenager, and here's what I used to think. Every single season of that show, you would watch certain people go into a room and shut the door and whisper to somebody else, don't tell so-and-so, but I need to tell you this. And I would scream out loud, the cameras are rolling! There's cameras on. This person will know everything you said eventually. Why do you keep forgetting this? But don't we do the same thing? We know up here, we know that Jesus Christ is omnipresent. Through his Holy Spirit, he's in all places at all times. We know that up here, but we forget it right here. 
And when we forget that we're going to be held accountable for the things that we say, think, and do, and specifically we'll look at here today, the things that we say in judgment, we forget those things are going to be brought up at our day of judgment. And we're going to have to face God and give an account for the things that we've said and done, specifically the evil things that we've done, tearing down other people. We all wrestle with it, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago, the taming of the tongue. The tongue is untamable. It's, the, it's the, one of the smallest instruments of the human body, but it's the most uncontrollable one. And a few weeks ago, James warned us about that. Well, now he takes it a step deeper. And as you'll see, the title of the message today is Don't Slam the Gavel Down. I was hoping I'd have a gavel here, and I don't. That would have certainly added to the message. That's the best I can do for a gavel. Don't slam the gavel down is the title of our message here today. And as we walk through this, we're going to be talking about these issues that we face when we judge others and we have to face God at our day of judgment. Now, before I get to the text, okay, before we stand and read scripture together, I want to make a clarification. And I'm so grateful that we just sang this song because this goes along perfectly with what I wanted to say, okay? When we die, if you're a Christian, you face a different type of judgment than a non-Christian, okay? For those who are Christians, we're going to face what 2 Corinthians 5 calls the judgment seat of Christ. And that's not a judgment for salvation. That's a judgment of works. All right, let me read the passage to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this. For we must, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So even if you're born again, even if you're saved and you can't lose what you did not earn... Okay, we hold to the once saved, always saved doctrine of Southern Baptist. We believe that, okay? It's, you're still going to face God and have to give an account for things done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, what about a non-believer? Well, the non-believer is going to have to face what's called the great white throne. And they're going to give an account for the things they've said and done. And they will not have the blood of Jesus Christ to cover them. And they'll be separated from God forever. But for those of us who are Christian, we're also given this final warning in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and here's what it says. And now little children abide in Him, meaning Christ, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Why would we have shame in Christ's coming if we're saved? Well, it would be because we're not living the way God would call us to live. We're not representing who he is, and we're not building up his kingdom. And it all starts with the way that we speak about other people. This is heavy. This is a heavy message. What's the big idea that I want us to get as we walk through James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12? Here's the big idea in one sentence. When we cast judgment on others by speaking evil against them, we forget that only God can make a final judgment on them and on us. We try to take God's place behind the bench, calling it to order. Only God can do that. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of James. We'll be in chapter 4, looking at just two verses, verses 11 through 12. If you do not have a Bible, please grab the pew Bible in front of you, or for those of you in the front row beside you, Okay, the Pew Bible will be on page 1201 in your Pew Bibles. Okay, give everyone a chance to turn there. And if you would stand at this time, again, 1201 in your Pew Bibles. We are in James chapter 4, 
And we're going to be in just two verses, verses 11 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let us pray together. Father, we acknowledge, once again, we stand in awe of the authority of your word because it opens up our hearts and exposes our sin. Everybody in this room, myself included, Father, has spoken evil against our neighbor at some point. And I pray that you would forgive us and I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive the truth of this word, that we would be obedient to it, Father, that our tongues would be used for nothing but your glory and that we would let you do the judging because that's your calling and not ours. Help us now as we consider this truth and we walk through your word together. Let your spirit guide us every step along the way. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Now, I know this is heavy. I also know it's true. But before we start walking through the text, I want to make one important distinction. Because if we don't get this, then we're going to misinterpret these two verses as we walk through them together. There is a time and a place in Scripture where God does call us as Christians to judge. All right? And here's the difference. There's the judgment of discernment where we call out sin. But then there's the judgment of condemnation where we call out sinners. The first we're commanded to do. We're called to use discernment to know what is right and what is wrong. And when we have brothers and sisters who are in sin, to lovingly come alongside them and call them to repent. But we're never called to condemn sinners. That's not our job. It's not our role. And when we do that, we forget the grace that God has shown to us. And I want to make that distinction because what may happen, you may have had an experience in your life on either, either side of this coin. Or maybe you were living in sin, or better yet, somebody else was living in sin, and God moved in your heart to address that in the person's life, and they responded to you, who are you to judge me? Well, biblically speaking, we are are called to judge in a way of discernment. We discern sin, and it would not be loving of us not to come alongside a brother or sister and call them to repent. But again, we're never called to condemn the person. As long as a human being still has breath in their lungs, they have opportunity for salvation. This gospel is to be spread to all four corners of the earth. And we said this this morning, and I'll probably mention it before the sermon closes. The reason Jesus has not come back yet is because he's infinitely graceful and he's waiting for more people to come into the fold. And they can't, they, can't, they can't come to salvation if they can't feel and know God's grace. And they can't know that if we've already condemned them before we ever share a word of the gospel. So let's make that distinction clear. We are called to judge, to discern sin, to know right from wrong, and to call others to live right. But we're never allowed to condemn to call people's reputation into question, to, to just slander their reputation and condemn them for the things that they've said or done. As much as we feel justified to do that, we can't. 
So let's walk through this text together. I'd like to make three points that come right out of the text. And here's the first of the three as we consider judging others. Number one, don't slam the gavel down on your neighbor. You are really judging the law. All right, look at the first part of verse 11. Put your eyes on the text. Verse 11, the first part. Here's what it says. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now, a few weeks ago, if you weren't here just to catch up, a few weeks ago we said that as Christians... We don't live under the the legal restrictions of the laws of Moses. God took care of all of that through Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the way that we should have lived. He, He fulfilled the law perfectly. He died the death that we deserved. He took on our punishment. He rose from the dead. So if we put our faith in Him, we're not held by the legal restrictions of the laws of Moses that we read in the Old Testament. However, we're held to an even higher standard, the law of Christ. And we talked about that law a few weeks ago. The law of Christ can be broken down in two points. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. All the law can be summed up in those two points. And when we speak evil against our neighbor, we're really speaking evil against that law. We're saying, God, I know you called me to love my neighbor, but boy, there's an exception to this rule. This person said something or did something to me, and therefore I no longer feel obligated to love them. And not only that, I'm going to speak evil against them because I think it is good and I think it is right. We don't have the ability to do that. And and, and he condemns us right here by saying these words. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. This does not only mean that we're law breakers, that we have not loved the way God calls us to. It means we're law rejectors. We say, God, your law is not the law that I'm going to live by. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. I'm going to call the shots. And if somebody hurts my reputation, I'm going to clear the air. I'm going to make sure they know who I am. And that goes back to what we talked about last week. When our life is all about us and it's not about God, we build a self-kingdom and anybody who does not see that life is about us threatens our kingdom and our natural reaction is to, to lash out against them. Who are you to get in the way of what I'm trying to build? Whereas when we see God as the kingdom builder, we see him on the throne Again, we do judge in discernment of what is right and wrong because we want God to be glorified, but we certainly don't call judgment on anybody because we know that's not our job. We know that's not our job. Can I confess to you, again, simple, not easy. In the past week of my life, I have laid in bed and wrestled with, a, with, with one specific situation with a certain individual in this community who I feel has been misrepresenting me in this church and everything in my pod, my power, my body. I just want to go and make it right. I want to grab that person and say, why are you doing this? Speak truth. But I can't do that. That's not my calling. And the second that I do that, guess what happens? I remove God from the bench and I say, have a seat. I got the gavel. I got it from here. Whereas it says right here, if we're called to love others, we leave vindication up to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. You can't back your own reputation up as much as God can. 
And if you try to do it yourself, you'll just get in God's way. I know most of you, if not all of you in this room, at some point, maybe in the real recent past, maybe even right now, you're experiencing people that you know in your community or in your neighborhood or in your family or in your job who are attacking you or disrespecting you or in some way are hurting your reputation. And the first thing that you want to do is lash out. But the second that you lash out, you've lost the opportunity for God to seek the vengeance. Leave room for God to do what he does, and you do what you're commanded to do. And I speak to myself as much as I speak to all of you. You have to love people. And again, I said this before, and I believe it's true. I'm not trying to be fancy or funny when I say this. You can love somebody without necessarily liking them. Okay, I'm not saying you have to be buddy-buddy with someone. And I am saying use wisdom. When you're around people who hurt you, you don't, you're not forced to invite them over the house on Saturday to watch the dogs between the hedges, okay? I mean, there's no obligation there. To love someone is to want the greater good for their life. So you pray for them, and you ask God to take it into his own hands. And you don't go around the community spreading mud and, and smearing somebody's reputation because they've hurt you. If you do that, God's saying you're not only judging them, you're judging the, the law that God has made. So again, number one, We look at this and we see that when we slam the gavel down on our neighbor, we're really judging the law. Let's look at number two. Again, this is progressive. Don't slam the gavel down on the law. You're really judging God. Okay, look at the last part of verse 11. Just the last few words of of that verse say this. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Here's what you're really doing. You're calling God into his own courtroom. And instead of you being down there and him up here, you're switching roles. That is a dangerous place to be. And, you know, God is a God of grace. I think all of us at some point question why God allows certain things to happen, right? We live in a broken world. Here's here's what I believe from the bottom of my heart, okay? I believe that there's room and there's grace for us to bang on the chest of God once in a while and say, why? I think that's healthy. I think it's normal. And the reason why is I see it all over the Psalms. All right, I see David and others saying, where are you, God? Why? Why is this happening? Why are my enemies against me? God, seek vengeance. Come to my aid. Make haste to help me. Do something, God. Show up or show out. Do, do something in my life. I think that's good. I think it's healthy. I think it's part of natural human emotion, and I don't think it's necessarily sinful to question why. Where it becomes sin is when you begin to question God's character, when you begin to blame God for sin, when you begin to question that your judgment of a situation is better than God's judgment. In other words, when you ask God to excuse himself from the bench, and you go up and you sit on the bench with the gavel in your hand, that's when it's become sin. And most of us, before we become Christian, at some point we've probably put God in our courtroom. I'm going to confess to you, I have, with certain things that happened in my life as a young man, I began to think, who is God? And if he's real, why would he let these things happen? The older I get, the more I realize the unspeakable love and grace that God has shown me. And I realized that I deserved a lot worse than I've gotten in so many areas of my life. And I also realized that my life is not going to make full sense until the story's over. It was a, I forget which theologian said, 
It all makes sense in the end. If it doesn't make sense, it's just not the end yet. God will take what is wrong and he will make it right. And for those of you who are suffering right now for the righteousness of God, I'm telling you, God is working that together for a greater good that you can't even see. He is working for you an eternal weight of glory. If you just hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. I believe it's the greatest sin of our day that we put God on trial. Again, let me say clearly, God's not the author of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God called them to righteousness. He told them not to eat of the tree. He did not tempt them to eat from it. That was Satan. Now, God gave us the free will and he allowed it to happen. But he's not the author of sin. He's not. And so we can't put him in our courtroom. When you're experiencing the pain you're experiencing in your life, you can't put God on trial. He's good and perfect in every way. And if you walk with him, he will draw close to you. And you will know his goodness. As the Bible says, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. We can't put him in our courtroom. You know, as I was studying this passage, I came across another verse. I read this to our deacons this morning. Here's what I believe could help us to live the Christian life the way we're called to live it. I love this passage. I came across it in my devotional time this week. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. For the note takers, I'll say it again. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Listen to this passage and then think about how how we could implement this in our own life. Here's what it says. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord... And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Think about these beautiful bookends that God gives us. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, how would that affect the way that we talk about and judge other people? Here's how it works. Okay? We said a few weeks ago, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And that fear is not fear of condemnation. That's what we sang this morning. All right, I'm no longer a slave to fear because I'm a child of God. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul said in his letter to the church at Rome. So we're not scared of condemnation, but we should still have a reverent, holy fear of God, that he's a good father and a good father's to be loved, but also a good father's to be respected. We don't get out of line with God. He's still in the spanking business, amen? I don't want one of his spankings, I don't. And he does it because he loves me but I still don't want it. So we walk in fear of the Lord, in honor and reverence, okay? I've thought, I remember, gosh, I'm confessing this to you. I remember the day that I stood behind the pulpit and preached in view of a call and you voted me as your pastor. I smiled, but on the inside, I was physically sick. My thought was, Bo, you just stepped into another level of accountability that I don't know if you're ready for. And I think it was the Holy Spirit, I really do, who was saying, Bo, I want you to be well aware of what's at stake here. You're called to be a pastor, and I know you're not perfect, but here's what's at stake. You've got an entire congregation who's trusting in you. They follow you as you follow Christ. I'm telling you, I think about that day all the time. So we need to have a healthy fear of God. It keeps us in line. Those who live in complete unrepentance and live in sin and abandon the church and blame everybody else, they they just don't fear God. They've put God in their courtroom. It's a me society. In fact, they worship the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. If we don't fear God, we're going to get out of line. Here's the other side of that. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
So how do I make it as a pastor when I know I have not lived the way I should have in the past week? After I confess my sin, I realize that God's also a God of love and of grace and of mercy. And the Holy Spirit comforts me and says, I know you're not perfect. Keep walking with me. Keep walking with me. I'm going to make you more like my son. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. Fearing God and also receiving his comfort. That's how we walk with the Lord. And that's how we avoid speaking evil against others. The fear of the Lord keeps our tongue quiet. The comfort of the Lord restores our soul and says, God, you're in control. You'll seek the vengeance. You'll take care of this. I don't have the energy. I'm not good enough. And I'm not going to judge your law, thereby judging you. I'm going to let you take care of this. I'm going to live for you and pray for this person. That's what we're called to do. So we can't slam the gavel down on our neighbor because we're judging the law. We can't slam the gavel down on the law because we're judging God. That leads us to third and finally, don't slam the gavel down on God. You are really being judged by Him. Look at the last part, verse 12, okay? You still have your Bible open? Let's look at it together. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. Uh, this movie, I've often said, is an unofficial biography of, of my journey. Have you ever seen my cousin Vinny? An Italian who was displaced in a small southern town. Uh, it's, it's a great movie. I don't, condemn the, I, don't, I don't condone the language necessarily, but it's, it's still hilarious, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, but if you haven't seen the movie, you got this Italian from New York City. His name is Vincent LaGuardia Gambini, who's played by Joe Pesci, okay? And Joe Pesci is going to, uh, to trial to defend his cousin, or I think it was his net, yeah, cousin, my cousin Vinny. It was his cousin who's wrongfully charged with murder in a small town in Alabama. So he shows up on the scene, and the first day that he's there, he, he sits in the wrong place, and he knows no church protocol. He's never done any trial you know, any, any tra- he hasn't sat in on any trials. He hasn't been tra- uh, trained. He failed the bar like seven or eight times before he was licensed to be a lawyer. And, and all of a sudden, he goes into the courtroom, and every single scene in the first half hour of the movie, he gets thrown in jail for being in contempt of court. He says the wrong things. He wears the wrong things. He does the wrong things over and over and over and over. The, the, the judge keeps saying, contempt of court, contempt of court. And he goes to jail for the night and he comes back the next day. And finally, at the end of the movie, he learns how to act in, God, in the courtroom. He, he, learns how to, he learns how to conduct himself. He learns where he's supposed to sit. And he, he, he finally gets all the pieces of the case together. And it's beautiful what happens. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, because... We're all in God's courtroom. He's the judge. And when we speak evil against others, we're not learning how to act in God's courtroom. We're sitting in the wrong place. We're saying the wrong things. And God's saying, you're in contempt. This is not your calling. You're not doing what God has called you to do. Trust God. He's, good. He's a better judge than any of us could ever be. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We want to be there when he finally casts judgment on the other person. Oh, it feels good, doesn't it? It just feels good to seek vengeance. We want to be there when it happens. And sometimes we are. And most of the time, we won't be. But it's best, I think it's best that we're not. Because it's hypocritical. Because the moment that we don't want to offer grace to somebody else, no matter what they've done to you, 
we forget the grace that God's given to us. We are sinners saved by grace. Christianity is nothing more than some beggar who's been fed offering another beggar that same bread. Let's not withhold the bread from anybody. I know it hurts when people speak evil. I have wrestled with that the last week of my life. But I'm not going to seek vengeance. I'm going to pray and give it to God. I'm going to pray and I'm going to give it over to Him. So, as we draw to a close, how do we sum all this up? In one sentence, I would say this. The only one who will hold the gavel at final judgment is Jesus Christ, and He has the power to save us or destroy us. I got a buddy of mine in Rocky Ford said, Bobo, you can boil the Bible down to this question. Who's Jesus and what are you doing with him? Great words. I boil it all down to that. Jesus Christ can either save us or he can destroy us. And if you think for one minute that Jesus Christ is some effeminate carpenter from Nazareth who was a hippie and called people just to love and love one another and he never talked about holiness and he never talked about sin, you're not reading your New Testament and you're specifically not reading the book of Revelation. Let me read this one thing as a sobering reminder of what Jesus will be like when he returns. I want to read this last passage before we quit. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Okay, Revelation chapter 19. For those who are taking notes or turn, I'll give you a second. Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. This is a picture of Jesus that nobody talks about. But listen to these words. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are the many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet on a white horse? Can I tell you why? He's offering grace. Grace is what's invited. Grace is what is offered. Judgment is what is coming. So for those of us who have received that grace... Offer it to everyone. And if you have not received that grace, if you, if you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus, or if you maybe have professed with your mouth, but you haven't been part of a church in years, you haven't read a Bible in years, you haven't been in prayer in years, then maybe your heart has never truly been changed. And today you're hearing these words because God is calling you out of the love of his heart in the whisper of your ear. Repent. 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 Right now the sun is out, but the clouds are coming. And I don't mean the eclipse next week. While the sun is still out, repent. And for those who have spoken evil against you, give them the chance to repent as well. I'll just close for one takeaway. Let this verse sit in your heart. All right, our takeaway for today, Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. 
For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you speak evil and judge others, you're going to face that same judgment. Let God do the judging. And you just love others the way Jesus has called you to. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, would you forgive us? Forgive us for not knowing where to sit or how to conduct ourselves in the courtroom. You are the judge and we are not. Yet we take the gavel from you all the time. Father, would you forgive us for taking out of your hand what only belongs to you? Would you forgive us for not rejoicing in the grace and mercy you've bestowed upon us by not extending that to other people? Father, forgive us for words of evil that we've spoken against others, regardless of what they've done, regardless of what they've said. Forgive us, Father. Help us to love them, to pray for them, and to be Christ to them. Father, be with us and help us to be more like your son as we build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.